Welcome to Sex Talk Radio, a podcast that explores kink and sex through candid and curious conversations. Join me and expert guests in exploring taboos and unpacking what it means to be sex and kink positive. If you haven't checked it out already, please come join me in the Sexy Society. It is an online virtual community for women. You can learn more by going to sextalkradio.com. That is S-E-G-G-S talkradio.com. Lube is important for a lot of different sexual experiences, whether it is solo play or partnered play. It can enhance sensation and just make everything so much more enjoyable. I really love Mochi Melt. Their product is extremely high quality. It smells and tastes delicious, and it looks great on your bedside table. My favorite flavor is Honeydew. 10 out of 10, I recommend and love Mochi Melt. Go to MochiMelt.com and use code THEA, T-H-E-A, for 15% off of your order. Today's episode of Sex Talk Radio is sponsored by the HUD app. HUD is changing the face of casual dating by offering an alternative and empowered approach to commitment-free dating. Go to hudapp.com slash sextalk, that's H-U-D-A-P-P dot com slash S-E-G-G-S talk for a week on me. A quick note, the HUD app is available on both iOS and Android and is available to users 18 and over. Hello, Joanna. Welcome to Sex Talk Radio. Thank you for being here. Um, I came across you through some mutual friends on social media, and you really vulnerably shared um, that you have HIV and really just put your world out there vulnerably, and I felt like that took a lot of courage, and I really want to share your journey with the world and, and what you're up to now. So yeah, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. And I I have to say, I'm so nervous, but excited and nervous <laughs> because I've never done this before, but also nervous because this is a really hard story to share that people mm. don't want to hear. You know, I think it's such a taboo subject, but everyone's having sex. And that means that everyone, everyone is having sex. Then, yeah. And the majority of people have some experience or encounter with STIs. Like, um, I have, and it was horrific. And I had no idea that I could get like, uh, I don't, can't remember if it was gonorrhea or chlamydia in my throat because nobody was talking about it. I was sick for months. And it was just like this, there's this part of me that felt like an advocate that was like, wait, we got to be talking about this, this stuff more. Mm-hmm. Um, well, if it makes you feel any better, you don't seem nervous at all. You're lovely. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's really, really brave and exciting for you to be here. Um, so tell me a little bit about where you're from, the little, the bullet points of, of growing up and in, in your life. Yeah. So I was um, the first born here in America. My parents okay. are Costa Rican immigrants. Mm. Um, I think just like a lot of minorities, we faced like, a lot of problems with getting education, getting insurance, getting issues. And Oof. so sex was like this taboo subject that we don't talk about in Latin culture, period. But then mm-hmm. like, talking about sex and STIs and STDs, no, they were like, oh my you. gosh, I remember my both my parents saying like, if you have sex, you're gonna get a baby or you're gonna get AIDS. Holy and shit. like, that's like the sex talk I got. So you had a whole other level that of cultural stigma to work through in your in your process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I mean, I feel very privileged to not like to have had a very sex positive mom and parents. So that's a whole other layer you got to explore. Yeah, that was really intense. And then sure. explaining that to my mom and to my dad was really hard too because they didn't know people don't talk about stuff like that in Latin culture Um, especially with women Mm. like a woman Mm. getting that my family in Costa Rica they were all like oh she's gonna die we gotta do all this stuff and Mm. I was like wait no I'm good (laughs) yeah 
Um, so you have other siblings? I do. So I have two sisters. Okay. Um, I'm the baby. <laughs> I'm the baby. I have my own son who I got oh, yeah. prior to being diagnosed. He's amazing. He's actually here in Austin with me, but he didn't want to come. <laughs> <laughs> how old is he? Seven. Wow. And how old are you? 27. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. He'll be eight in a week. Oh, yeah. young mama. Oh yeah. Yeah. Really young, really young. I had a really tumultuous childhood. So again, I was having sex really early. I didn't have the right facts. I also got um, a couple of STDs as a teenager that it was really hard for me to navigate mm. because I didn't have, you know, so, the help or the, or the guidance. Sure. Where were you living? Where did you live? I when lived your family moved on, here, or they moved here before you were born, but the uh, outskirts of Dallas. Okay, yeah. so you've spent most of your life in Texas. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, Texas girl. <laughs> I was actually born in Jersey, but uh-huh. I didn't develop the accent because I, I lived here when I was like two. Yeah. Um, so you said you encountered STIs as a teenager. I mean, that that's not something like our sex ed system doesn't set us up for anything like with yeah. that. Um, my I mean, even with my experience last year as somebody that knows more about this stuff than the average person, I didn't know what was going on. I was so sick. Um, what was that like navigating that like as a teenager? And like, what was your high school sex? Did you have any high school sex ed? Oh, my God. I don't think we did. I think we had mm. sex ed in middle school where they tell you about your period, and that's all I remember. I don't think we had sex ed in my school. And oh my God. I was, like, a super promiscuous child, and my mom wasn't talking to me about this stuff. So when mm. I got these STDs, I remember being at the clinic with my mom, and the doctor Like, me, for a check-in? For a check-in, Like, yeah. blood work annual no, type thing? Or? No, actually, someone told me, hey, I got this thing. You should go get tested. Oh, okay. Well, hey, look at those teenagers yeah. being responsible. Yeah. <laughs> actually, no, he was an adult. Um, oh. Yeah. <laughs> God. That's a different story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I went into the clinic with my mom because I didn't have a car. And I wanted to talk to the doctor privately because I didn't want my mom to know. And at the time, there was a law where the doctor could privately speak to a teenager about okay. this kind of stuff. Look and at my Texas mom was being progressive. I know, right? My mom was pissed. She was like, no, I need to know what I'm paying for. What are you talking about? And I was like, oh, I just have this like yeast infection. She's like, I don't believe you. And I was like, just give me the medicine, mom. I need it. Oh, honey. Because she, she didn't want to talk about these things. She just wanted me sure. to not do it, you know? But I was, I'd always been, like, a really sexually explorative, even child. I was just very curious Same. about my body. Yeah. And I love that about me. Yeah. You know? I talk about that with a lot of my guests, um, like, this curiosity of exploring our sexuality very, very young and just having this kind of, like, intense sexual energy our whole lives. Um, but I think, like, the media kind of sets it up to be that, like, that's more the guys. Like, the guys are the horny ones. But, like, I was a fucking horny kid and teenager and, like, like, all the guests that I talked to us about, they're like, I was, like, humping stuff. Like, <laughs> um, do you think that – how do you think that that was related to your family's – family not talking about it? Like, That's a really tough question because – Like, not to say it made you more or less or anything like that. I don't want it to sound slut-shamey or anything. Just, like, I always – I'm curious about those dynamics. It's really interesting. So yeah. – my family, we went through so many religions. We were Jehovah's Witness, and then oh. we were Catholic, and then we were Christian. So it was a really strict. But at the same time, simultaneously, my parents were having wild fucking parties. Sorry, can I cuss? Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. Fuck yeah. yeah. We're going to talk about na- yeah. naughty, nasty shit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Cuss words. <laughs> so they were having just like nasty, raunchy parties. Like, I don't know if you listen to reggaeton, like the music, it's like very sexy. And people <laughs> yeah. Parties together. And that's what I grew up with. Whoa. All the time. Every Whoa. Weekend. It and sounds was- like you were given extremely conflicting, confusing, contradictory. Mm-hmm. Nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because it's, was it kind of the, like, faking it out in public at church kind of family thing? 
Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Were they like doing drugs and having sex? Like were you exposed to like that kind of stuff at these parties? No, not drugs that I knew of. Yeah. They were drinking a lot. Yeah. Um, but they were, there was like if I'd open my room door, there'd be someone having sex in my room. Or like my mom and my dad would be like making out really aggressively, like drunk in the backyard with like a bunch of people there. There was all sorts of stuff. And that was really hard for me to navigate because I was super hypersexual, mm-hmm. but I was being told not to be. But I'm watching my parents. Then you're watching it. it. Yeah. How old, what age were you around this time? From like four to ten. Whoa. Yeah. So you were feeling sexual energy within yourself at that, in that time frame. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Early. Yeah. Wow. Um, <clears throat> how did they, that's just such an interesting kind of like dichotomy with your parents. Um were they like that prior to moving to this? Like, have they were they always party people, or did they like find a certain group? Like, what kind of activated that party phase? Honestly, I think it was. Um, I think my parents always were kind of party people, but mm-hmm. I think when my dad got to the states and started making money, he started mm-hmm. making really good money. He wanted to like show it off and flaunt it, sure. And that inevitably like led to my parents' divorce because he wanted to live this like crazy wild oh, life. Oh wow! And my mom was like, oh, we should slow down. We have all these girls, you know. Okay. Um, so. And are you close with both of your parents now? I'm super close to my mom. She's amazing. She just got married. Oh, um, that's so cute. My dad, I haven't talked to him in ooh, years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad that she followed her followed her heart. <laughs> I'm so proud of her. And she's in Dallas? She's, uh, yeah, okay. basically. Yeah. Um, Okay, so parents were crazy partiers, high school navigating sexuality. Yeah, and that makes me kind of think. Um, a lot of times when I tell people my story, mm-hmm. you know, I, as a teenager, I was addicted to heroin. Heroin was a really big Whoa. epidemic in my city. Yeah. Okay. And people often think, oh, like you got HIV from doing mm-hmm. heroin. And I'm like, no, actually I got it years later from mm-hmm. a partner. Mm-hmm. But people assume that it was from like a needle sharing type of mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. And it's contracted blood to blood so um blood to blood or through vaginal secretions so that at least that's fluid what to fluid yeah fluid to fluid gotcha. um, okay so that's where the needle thing could yeah. happen um yeah I did not really struggle with addiction in high school but it was so prevalent around me I was mm-hmm. in a small rural town in Alaska oh, wow. and yeah and all of my guy friends that I would like smoke weed with on my lunch breaks they like they were they would fish in the summer so they'd go out and they'd make like a hundred grand and they were fucking teenagers with all this money and so it like turned into oxy and then it's mm-hmm. it just like went down us like a staircase of harder and harder stuff mm-hmm. um how did getting clean or sober from that what did that look like and how old were you so i started doing heroin when i was like 14 my freshman year yeah you grew up real quick honey i did i did yeah um, as well as doing like a plethora of other drugs. <laughs> yeah, you don't start it. with the heroin. You, yeah. <laughs> um, and then when I was 17, I had a heart attack, cardiac arrest at my boyfriend's house. And his mom found me in the bathroom. Was overdose induced? An overdose, yeah. Okay. Overdose induced um, cardiac arrest. Um, so wow. that kind of scared me straight. For sure. Yeah. So you were actively using for three years? Yeah. And you, did you graduate high school? I did, I did, I wow. did. I got, I got clean, like I... Like, got my shit together. Yeah, but you were going to class during your active addiction and stuff? Yeah, I was a functioning Functioning. addict. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, um, I'm sober from alcohol, and I think that that's a huge (laughs) misconception. 
um, with sobriety and I think why it's important that more voices like ours also chat about addiction and stuff is because it looks so fucking different. It looks so fucking different. Um, after four years, I drank this summer and it was not like an end of the world situation, but it was not aligned and I felt shitty about myself and I hated the hangover. The one hangover I had, I was like, fuck no. So I think it's just important to share that like, you can go to class, you can, you can graduate, you can still show up and do the fucking podcast and do all the things, but it can be so hard. It can be so bad for your mind and or body um, that it still has to go. So um, I just think that's important for people to know. Absolutely. In addiction. Uh, were your parents involved in, in you getting clean and sober or were they, they kind of checked out from knowing that you were in addiction? No, they knew. Uh, my dad wasn't really around so much after the divorce, but my mom, bless her heart, like she was a single mom, didn't have papers, and was working two jobs to try to support me and my sister. So she was so in her own shit that she couldn't, you know, she couldn't pay the bills. Her heart. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so what did sex uh, look like for you maybe post-high school? Like what was your, your journey? I know one relationship you shared about um, was an open relationship, so I'm just curious about your your late teens and early 20s and relationship to sex <laughs> um it was a fucking blast yeah i loved having sex it was so <laughs> much fun i loved it I, Fuck I was bisexual yes. so I, mm-hmm. i'm more pansexual was? <laughs> uh no i yeah. would say i'm, I'm uh, like more pansexual mm, which is um where um anybody doesn't matter what what, what you what, what In, you more more energetics absolutely pansexual energetics. okay yeah. yeah um but i wasn't careful about it um every now and then if I got like a vibe from somebody I'd ask them um if they got tested Mm -hmm. but I wasn't getting tested as regularly as I wanted to Mm -hmm. Uh, but I was having a lot of fun I was like going to dungeons and doing BDSM stuff and sleeping with women and men and I was having a lot of wow you jumped into like the kink scene yeah and this was uh in Dallas in Dallas yeah Uh, which is not the best kink scene Um, the last girl I had on, we were talking about the New York scene and I've only explored mm-hmm. the kink scene here in Austin, which also mixed feelings, but like, um, yeah, I really want to go to like the bigger cities and yeah. go do fun kinky shit. Um, so who like was, was there like a liaison, somebody that like showed you to your first party or event or like what was your doorway to like kink and that kind of thing? Hmm. You just found them? I think I just found it. I think I was just You're so, seeking it out. Yeah. I was mm-hmm. just so like. I, I want. I wanted it so mm. bad. I remember being a teenager and like meeting up with men online. I was like, I don't even care how old you are. Like, just let's fuck. And that was yeah, dangerous, but really, I know. Fun. I know. Some of my kinks are kind of sketchy. <laughs> I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. Um, did you mention you have ADHD at the beginning? Oh yeah, I do too. And sometimes I think about our dopamine and our desire to seek out extremes. I just never talk to other ADHD women. Oh yeah. Do you think about that? 100 percent. Dopamine. All the, time. the highs. Everything's a fucking high for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to get into dopamine. Dopamine detoxing. Which is really hard, We're especially the serotonin. <laughs> we need the serotonin, the long-term mm-hmm. steady shit. Yeah, um, totally understand there. I just, something, what you said about meeting up with strangers, like I, one of my kinks is kind of more anonymous sex and it's oh. like, it's hot, a little sketchy. hope my mom doesn't see this. And, uh, and, and I, when I think about that, I'm like, oh, that's big time dopamine. Like, and I was also talking about this with my last guest, like the fear and arousal are very close to each other, like the energetics of both of them. Yeah. And so it's like the things, the things that can feel really kinky and naughty to us are sometimes related to fear. 
Interesting. That's Isn't mind that blowing. Interesting? Yeah. Thank you Somebody was telling me they're close in the brain too. I don't know. Um, wow. I, I, I'm like mind blown. <laughs> I never put those two together. Yeah, girl. Fear and arousal, baby. I mean, yeah. And then we were also talking about how like that can lead to like safe, comfortable, long-term relationships feeling boring because we're not up against mm-hmm. the, the, what could be fear or unknown, um, Anyways, okay, so you were finding dungeons in Dallas as a teen, as a late teen. I'm impressed. Um, I mean, I, from my kink exploration, which has only been like the last year and a half, two years, it's like I just kind of wanted more. I wanted to keep pulling back the curtain. Um, Were most of your experiences positive in terms of playing in the BDSM and kink scene? I would say so, yeah, actually, yeah. 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 I felt really empowered, mm. I felt super empowered. I think I, I don't know, like, my pussy was just, like, throbbing, and <laughs> I feel like it made, like, give me clarity, and I was, like, really confident, and I was wow. really versed into this, this entire world. I was reading books, I was talking about it at college, I was, I, I loved it. Wow. Um, were there I, specific kinks or power dynamics that you were drawn to? Um, no, all of it. Okay. All of it. I was really explorative in the beginning. Yeah, it wasn't like Dom or Sub or certain it. kinks. I I like just, just fucking. Just fucking. <laughs> and I was I would say it was a switch, honestly. Same. Because there was times yeah. where I could be on top of a dude with a whip and like a, a yeah. chains. And there were other times where I was just like, oh daddy. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> we should go to like a play party together. Like we should talk. <laughs> cool. Um Okay. So Play parties, Dallas, fun. And so tell me about the the open relationship that you were in. So that's, I think, where I did most of my exploring. Um, oh. I met this guy on Tinder, and he was 25 years older than me, and he was, like, major Silver Fox daddy. 25 years older? Yeah. Okay. 25 years older than me. How old were you? Uh, at the time, I was 21. Okay. Um, yeah, major Silver Fox, really we love, intelligent. We love older, oh, smart yeah. daddies, my type. Um. Yeah, he was an attorney. He was really funny and smart, and he was involved in the time. I was, um, like, really liberal, so I was into all this stuff, and so was he, and we just clicked immediately. And my baby, I want to say, was one. Yeah. Yeah, he was one at this time. Wow. Yeah. That's a hard time to be. Actually, let's talk a little bit about um, pregnancy and birth and stuff for the relationship. Um, So were you 19 when you got pregnant? I was 18 when I got pregnant, freshly out of high school, and I turned 19 and had my son. Okay, so when did the BDSM dungeons happen? After sun, before sun? Um, both, before okay, and okay. after. You started yeah. exploring. I would say that 18. prior to my son, I was already in like the the, the casual hookup scene. But sure. after my son is when I started doing the more parties and the more with like partnered scene. and a yeah. little more. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, how did having your son change change your life? Aww. It's okay if you cry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, it changed my life. He saved my life. Like, it's a very stereotypical thing that people say. No. Like, my son was my savior. But he really was. He changed Mm. my life. And um, something that I always think about is that I'm growing right along with him. You know, I'm I'm not this. In his eyes, I might seem like someone who has all the answers. But (laughs) I'm like, dude, (laughs) I'm like right there with you. Yeah. You know. Wow. Um, He's he's amazing. He's really inquisitive and funny and so independent and loves to debate. (laughs) <laughs> you know, like we have like debates about like God and like oh religion God. and consciousness. And he's like, well, I think Cute. this is what this is. And I'm like, well, I don't agree. He's like, well, this is my stance. 
just really love fun. him. Sounds yeah. like you're raising a lovely little man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so this relation, this relationship you entered into when he was one, did that person take like a stepfather role or was it kind of, would you keep that separate? No, he took the stepfather role pretty soon um, into the relationship and still has, is still his stepdad, mm. ex-stepdad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're beautiful. still really close, which is really beautiful. So I would love for you to share um, leading up to and how you got diagnosed with HIV. Yeah. So um, I met this man who's 25 years older than me, and he took on the role of my son, Casey, uh, as a dad. And he was also the man, I think, who gave me like the courage to go out and explore my sexuality even more. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, at the time, well, he still is, is bi- was bisexual, and so was I. And so we were playing with different kinds of couples and all sorts of scenes and different dynamics. Um, And then one day he got sick Mm. and I remember him thinking like, oh, I must have gotten some bacteria in my mouth when I was riding my bike. Mm. And so we went to go get tested together or we went to go for him to go get a test to see what, if it was a bacterial infection Mm -hmm. and something in, in me Mm. while we were at the doctor's office and he was telling her, was like word vomit. It just like came out. I was like, can you test us for HIV? It was wow. like, I knew deep down in wow. my body that this was something that we needed to, to yeah. talk intuition. about. Intuition. Yeah, the intuition was hella strong that day. <laughs> um, and I remember I was like in my freshman or sophomore year of college, I don't remember, and I got oh, the wow. call while I was in class. Oh, fuck. And he called me and he was like, hey, you need to come home. My results are positive. And I was like, okay, well, what are my results? And he was like, I can't tell you. We can go together. Mm. So we drive. I already, already, at this point, I already knew. Yeah. Um, because I had also had, like, a slight fever a, like a week before. Okay. In the middle of, like, May. Mm-hmm. Um, so the woman gives me the results. And at the, at the time, I want to say this was one of his clients. Remember I told you he was an attorney. Mm-hmm. So she was one of his clients for some, like, malpractice. Oh, the doctor? The doctor, oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't know why we chose to go to her, but <laughs> we chose to go to he also uh, probably didn't think you were going to necessarily ask for that test. That's but. good point. Um, so she gives me the news, and I don't know if it was, like, a cultural thing, but she was so dry. She had no bedside manners, and she was so nervous that she was laughing. And she was going through the results, and she was like, so you don't have HPV. You don't have a- uh, you don't have um, uh, this chlamydia. Oh. You don't have – and I'm like, bitch, get to the yeah. fucking point. Like, he's yeah. over here crying next to me. Oh. I already know what you're going to say. And he got upset. He was like, can you just fucking tell her what wow. you're here for? Wow. And she was like, okay, like you are, you're HIV positive. And of course, I start crying. And she goes, make sure you don't cry in front of your son because your tears have HIV. And you're going to, oh, you can affect your son. Hell. Can you believe that? That's like some like AIDS epidemic 40 years ago, whenever it happened. When did it happen? The, the 80s. The 80s, oh, yeah. yes. Time's going by very fast. 40 years ago, like, like super outdated, fear based bullshit. And so many people thing. have this very antiquated view of yes. HIV and AIDS. Like, and that, like, you can contract it. Like, yeah. all these... Yes. People are living in the past. Like, this is not the yes. reality of HIV and AIDS anymore. It's completely different. Well, and that's why I really honor you for coming on here and talking about it, because just because um, things are different than the 80s in terms of how it's being spread and the preventative things people can do, it's still a part of our world and I just don't think people are talking about it, which is why there's a lack of, I think, education and knowledge. Um, wow. I mean, she sounds probably like, was she 
it probably wasn't her nor like this was not like a STI clinic. No. Yeah. Not that it means anything, but just that she probably maybe hadn't ever given somebody this diagnosis mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. Um, but those moments are life-defining moments for somebody. So to not treat them with respect is really tricky. And then to further shame you that your tears, I mean, mm-hmm. Jesus. Yeah, coming from a doctor, you know, yeah, that's really, I think, surprising and shocking. I know that you learn about this stuff in med school, so I, I, I was really surprised right. to hear that. And I, I don't know if they teach bedside manners and that's cool. I don't know if they do or don't, but this woman, I think, really needed it. But yeah. you know what? Granted, you're right. She probably wasn't used to giving this kind of information. So, yeah. But at the time, it was such a traumatic moment for me. Sure. And, I mean, that imprints you for the rest of mm-hmm. your life, you know. What did you think it meant for you that day without having <laughs> probably any prior knowledge? I thought I knew I wasn't going to die. Because mm-hmm. I knew that there was HIV medication. I was we, we were so intertwined with the gay and bisexual community that we, yeah. we had friends that were on PrEP. Or you did know a little bit more than the average yeah. pair. So people were on PrEP. This was... 20... This yeah. was like seven years ago? Yeah. Seven years ago. Okay. See, I didn't even... I haven't even like really heard or learned about PrEP until the last couple of years. So I didn't realize it was readily available mm-hmm. back then. People were on PrEP. People were um, what's what's known in the HIV community as undetectable. So mm-hmm. once you get on medication, um, the virus is suppressed enough to where you're, you can't be detected on any test. And so if mm-hmm. you're undetectable, you can have sex with anybody and not transmit it. So mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if we're having period sex, anal sex, any kind of sex you can think of. If you're of. undetectable, you're undetectable. If you're, uh, yeah, I'm the same as you. Undetectable meaning like if you got tested for HIV, it would show up as negative. Um, you know what? That's a really good question. There's a lot of debate about that. Sure. I haven't done it. I should just go yeah. through it, honestly. <laughs> but you still you have the virus, but you're undetectable. Right. Gotcha. It, it, the virus is dormant, but it's undetectable. So mm. the term that we like to use in the community is U equals U, which means undetectable equals untransmittable. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you had a little bit more knowledge than the average person because you were ingrained with the... Um, the LGBTQIA community, but so what else did you kind of make up that day? You you thought you were going to get sick or what? Yeah. What did you think might happen? I thought I was going to be with this man forever. Which or you had to be? I had to be. Yeah. Which was okay at the time. I thought we were going to be together for a long time, but in retrospect, I'm like, girl, he's 25 years older than you. Well, you probably felt, it felt like a little trap all of a sudden. It did, like it this, did. this is my person now because we both have HIV. Exactly. Sure. So I felt like I was going to be with him forever. Mm-hmm. I felt like my life expectancy was going to be shorter. Mm. Um, and honestly, truthfully, I in, in that moment, my deep and beautiful relationship with my sexuality was cut off immediately something that I had had since I was a little girl to rely on was like cut off you know like even masturbating after that was really hard for me that used to be such a integral part of my life um was severed from because you felt dirty or what like what was the feeling that came up with masturbation um honestly it it was all the feelings but it was more of an energetic block Mm -hmm. wow and it, yeah, it wasn't just like you were your average per like you were ingrained in the community. You're going to kink events. You were in it, and then it it became like not feeling, um, not feeling like what you would be worthy there that anybody would want to sleep with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 
I would say I attempted to kind of get back out into the community once I had all the facts and I was really confident. Right. I would say that I kind of jumped back into it pretty quickly because mm-hmm. I was confident in, in once I once I got the information from the infectious disease doctor that I couldn't give it to anyone. And I was like, I'm going to be the person who lets people know that I'm mm-hmm. not a risk to them and that we still deserve sex and fun and, yes. all, and children and all the things. Yeah. And so I jumped out pretty quickly. And I remember some people didn't mind, um, but most of the time it was met with like, oh, okay, like maybe we'll chat some other time. We'll, and then it would yeah. kind of stop there. I did have one guy who was really mean and he was like, oh, that's fucking gross. Like I don't, I don't fuck dirty people. Yeah. Um, I would love to chat with you about that. Cause we chatted on a, on about it a bit on our intro call about the dirty and clean. Mm-hmm. And I think that people who, I think a lot of people just don't know that that terminology could be harmful. Mm-hmm. Um, but I find it harmful and I'm sure you do too. A lot of people on, you know, kinky dating apps will say, like, I'm clean. And um, could you just speak a little bit more to the clean and dirty thing? And and um, also, I think alternatively, people could say I'm STI negative or whatever it might be. But I'd love your thoughts. Yeah, um, that was something I, I talk a lot about on my um, HIV advocacy page is that we aren't objects to be labeled clean or dirty. You know, that I think it objectifies us in, in a way. Um, totally. And I think it also separates us and it makes it, it like dehumanizes it. When STDs and STIs are a human condition, it's normal. Every human is is at risk of, of dealing with these things. And we shouldn't, It's there, there's so much stigma around yes. those words that it pushes p- people away from getting tested. And, mm-hmm. and it makes people who have HIV or HPV or um, HSV 1 and 2 feel like they're dirty because people are classifying them as this. If yes. we use words, like you said, um, I got my results and I'm good. Or, mm-hmm. I don't know, I got my results and I have this, but you know what? Like, it'll be gone in a week. We just need to normalize a conversation about getting tested and using the And proper, disclosing. And too. disclosing. Like, I've seen on people's bios, um, like, recent STI check, HSV1 positive. Like, that's all it has to be, you yeah. know? Why? We don't have to make it complicated. Just say, like, what it is. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, HSV one and two or herpes is so, there's so much shame and stigma there as well, um, and there's just a lot of work to be done. I think to change to change the narratives about these things. Um, so, what did you taking care of yourself look like during that time? Like, how long? It just seems like it would be really fucking hard. It was really fucking hard. It was. It was really hard raising my baby during that time because I was so afraid of cooking, cooking mm-hmm. around him. I was afraid of, you know, sh- we would we'd bathe together. I was afraid of bathing in front of him. So was this before you understood how the transmission? Yeah. Okay. Well, because there's there's always that, that waiting period when you're waiting for an appointment. That I, you know, that I didn't know. I didn't know what to do during that time. And I was, how long was that waiting period? I don't remember, honestly. Sure. But it was know. between the diagnosis from that shitty doctor mm-hmm. and talking to an infectious disease expert who could answer your questions. Right. And you were thinking probably the things that many people who are uneducated think, like it could be transmitted this way or this way or through sweat or I don't know. What mm-hmm. did you? What did you think? I thought it could, it could be. be transmitted through saliva. Okay. Um, I thought it could be transmitted through um, my tears. You know, as we mentioned previously, I thought, I know, I thought it could be transmitted like if like a drop of my blood 
got on like a cookie of his, for example. Right. I think I would think that. Like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Most people do. Yeah. Especially women, because we, we aren't, we told us this is a gay disease. And so we, totally. we aren't expecting. Gay men have this. Yeah. Like, we're yeah. good. Yeah. Which, when we can come back to this, but actually in America right now, there's more, worldwide actually, there's more women with HIV than there are men. It's it's Whoa. a small difference, but it's still Whoa. notable, I think. Yeah, that's definitely not the societal perception. Yeah. Um, we'll definitely come back to that. So yeah. you were raising a one-year-old. You were in college. Mm-hmm. Did you take a break or for like oh, yeah. just Yeah, I was done. I I couldn't. I couldn't. Mm-hmm. Actually, this is really interesting, kind of funny. Um, I was so gung-ho about like I'm not gonna be quiet about this. I'm gonna wow. uh, eventually. So mm-hmm. what when I first got diagnosed, I was in college and then as uh, I finished the I think the year off. I stayed in college and I had mm. a speech class that mm. we had to give a speech on, you know, whatever. I don't remember what the the the, the thing was, but we had yeah. to give a speech and I chose to give a speech about HIV and wow. like awareness of it. But I was so Brave. nervous. And I remember... Maybe I, you weren't I, ready yet? I was not ready yet. 100% not ready yet. And so I stood up mm. and I was talking to all these kids my age and I was like... Stuttering and crying, and I was like, "Fuck!" Like I fucked it up, but I was like, "Fuck it!" Like I'm gonna finish it. Yeah. And I remember a lot of people anonymously wrote, um, "You know, like you're really brave. Thank you for sharing this." But a lot of people were like, "You should keep that private. No one needs to know about that. That's kind of embarrassing." Even the teacher, actually, I'll never forget this. She also wrote, like, she was like, "This is something that you should keep to yourself." And then later on in the semester. She she was giving she was giving a lecture and she gave an example and she was like oh, yeah if no. you're giving a speech you know don't make it about like your personal problems such as STDs and STIs and I'm like bitch that happened like two months ago like I'm right here oh you put up with you dealt with some really shitty stuff yeah and was- really faced just those initial reactions of mm-hmm. whoa the shock factor of it yeah um ugh that's really tough. Uh, why were they writing notes? Who was writing these like, feedback um, at the end of class? Well, yeah, it, it was part of the assignment. You know, for you to oh, get a grade, you had to write yeah. feedback. Ugh. But it's okay. I love it. I'm glad yeah. it happened because it was just another little practice milestone for me to get to where I am today. And you never know how that 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 could have changed somebody else's life as well. Even if they were critical in that moment or whatever it may be, you don't know if that teacher found a diagnosis later on for an STI and had mm-hmm. empathy. Like, I think that... Um, yeah, it's hard and it's brave and it's also important. Like I actually faced my first kind of shitty internet bully yesterday mm-hmm. and it was through an ano- the anonymous uh, questions, so I can't figure out how to block the guy, but it was so mean. And it's mm-hmm. like, it's kind of though important, I think, to, s- to come up against that a little bit to see the darkness that is out there um, because we're, you know, we're trying to bring the light, baby. <laughs> That's right, Um so what was the uh, appointment like with the infectious disease doctor and what kind of questions did you get answered? Because I feel like those, those answers will answer a lot of the listeners' questions. Um, my infectious disease doctor was great. I love her. She's amazing. I'm so happy that I have her. still have her? I still have her. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Been, yeah, six, seven years now. Cool. Um, and she told me right off the bat, your life expectancy is going to be normal. You're going to live wow. to be really old. You're going to meet your grandkids. Like, don't worry about that. The only thing different about your life is that you're going to take one pill a day mm-hmm. and that's it. And and she told me this, and this is something that I've, hold on to, I've held on to, is that the stigma is greater than the actual disease. You will deal more with the stigma than you will with the effects of the mm. virus in your body. Wow. Um, and, and that's... Profound. That's big. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so glad she said that to me because that really stuck with me. 
And the tangible action item of like a pill once a day. Mm -hmm. That's it. Just one pill. Yeah. Um, She told me that once I got on medication and got undetectable where the virus was dormant in my system, that I could have sex with anybody. Again, I love to say it, (laughs) even period sex (laughs) with um, anyone, no issues, no condom. Of course, she was like, there's still other STDs, so be careful. Um, She still wanted me to work on it for those things. Of course. um, I could have sex with anyone I want to, and I could have a baby with no issues. Um, so are there, there are, let's talk a little bit about the blood because you've mentioned period sex a couple of times. Mm-hmm. So if you were not on medication and it's, it's blood to semen, I guess, would that be more easily transmittable kind of? Or? Um, so what the CDC says yeah. is it's a very, very small chance because mm. the, it's, it's kind of a hard question, but yes, <laughs> yeah. the answer is yes, because it is. It, it's more concentrated in blood, but okay. if you're if you're a female having sex with with a male, uh-huh. the penis itself is like an arm or a foot. It doesn't have any open mm. lesions or like an asshole where it's very delicate. Right. So it's it's the transmission is would be more likely for the female to more get likely it on her period. Yeah. From a man that's carrying it. Um, I, I think for a man. No, it's kind of the same as it, it would be for um, an anus. A woman's okay. uh, vagina is very very delicate and yeah. so the chances for even small tears and then semen mm-hmm. entering those small tears is, is possible now a man you know his semen going into a woman's vagina while she's on her period i don't think that really makes a difference if that's what you're asking me mm-hmm. yes yeah 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 i don't um, think that makes a difference but there was maybe a perception it seems like you had that there was a greater risk or something with period sex I don't um or maybe you just really like period. <laughs> I, re- I really like period sex, actually. Get a girl. Yes, yeah. That's, that's true. Um, but more so that people believe that women on their period can transmit to men. Oh, I see. Like they're shedding like more yeah. or something. I see yes. what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. But we um, know now that it's the, the statistics are four out of 4,000 chances that you a woman will transmit to a man. So it's like. Little, wow. little, little chance. Men are transmitting it to women. Women. In general. In general. Women are not. And this is, again, something we can talk about later, but there's a we'll huge. We can talk about it now. Yeah. Thank you. Because this is yeah. really important to me yeah, yeah, personally. Yeah. There's Have a huge. Oh, I'm so glad we're talking about this. Yes. People aren't talking about this in the HIV community. Yeah. It's just not. People. It's like a taboo subject, but women aren't transmitting to men. And if they are, it's very, 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 very small small percentages. Mm-hmm. And in the growing number of HIV positive women community groups that I'm a part of, mm-hmm. a lot of women, a lot of women are talking about um, not transmitting to their lifelong partners. For example, mm-hmm. um, women who didn't know they had HIV and AIDS and who were okay. with men who were, who were negative and were having unprotected sex of all different kinds and not giving it to their husbands or, or boyfriends. And then later wow. finding out that they had AIDS. And then knowing that the previous partner, not him, right, was, was the one, the one who, that gave yeah. it to them. And the, the men, the lifelong partners, are not contracting are either. Are not contracting it. I wonder why that is. Do we know why that might be? Um, I think it might be kind of like just like... level? I think it may be just like basic anatomy. Like if you sure. look at... Um, again, like the, the penis is just skin. So unless there's like an open lesion right, or cut right. on the penis, and um, I think it's really highly unlikely in that way. But also the amount of viral detection in female secretions is extremely low. What does that mean? So the amount of viral detections. Um, the amount of the virus mm-hmm. that is in her in her vaginal secretions is really low. Compared to men? Compared to men. Compared okay. to men's semen, for example. Okay. 
Um, so if she's ovulating, if she's going through whatever phase, if she's shedding her There's cycle. Just like less of the virus. Right. But both people could have the same degree of symptoms. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And if you also look at like, well, people say, well, what about the urethra? Well, if you look at the urethra and like gravity, mm-hmm. just, it wouldn't, it wouldn't make sense. Yeah. And so when it's, it's more commonly transmitted between gay men, um, and that is because there are tears happening, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's not just, and I think that kind of comes back to the period blood, like just because a woman is bleeding out of her vagina doesn't mean there are tears and cuts so that the mm-hmm. tear is where an infection is more easily going to spread. Yes. Okay. And that brings me to like another subject Like all these women yeah. are saying, you know, well, we were with straight. I don't want to just say gay. Yeah. Yeah. Gay is too broad. <laughs> um, we were with heterosexual men who claimed, you know, that they weren't having sex with men because they were heterosexual men. Mm-hmm. And yet we still got the virus. And a lot of these women come to find out that these men that infected them mm-hmm. were having sex with men. But because of the stigma around men being bisexual, yeah. these men didn't didn't feel comfortable talking about their sexualities pro- openly with, with sure. their partners. And because of that same stigma, they probably weren't getting tested for HIV and AIDS because they don't even want to assign they didn't that. They want to even like not even think about that. They're yeah. doing it maybe it's yeah. a behind closed doors. Exactly. Shame thing. And in turn, these women are getting infected with the virus because these men weren't being honest with their mm-hmm. their status. And it's it's not just you know men who are cheating. It's for example, you can look at men in prison. For example, like men mm. in prison don't have the option to sleep with women, so they mm-hmm. sleep with who they sleep with in prison. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, there's so much stigma. When they come out, they're not going to tell their wives or their girlfriends, like, hey, I had sex with this person in here. They're not right. going to go get tested. Right. You know, and I think that's just something that people do, period. You know, yeah. I don't want to go get tested for HIV or anything else because then that, that says that I might have it. Right. You know? Wow. Lot there. Um. Yeah, that's a lot. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, don't be sorry. Up until I discovered Mochi Melt, I felt like buying lube was an embarrassing thing. I would get it from Target, put it in my little bag, and hide it. It also was just like not very presentable. I didn't want it on my bedside table. Um, and when I found Mochi Melt, it just really changed my perception of lube in general. And I've honestly been using it in a lot more of my sexual experiences lately because it's just so different, silky and smooth. It tastes delicious. It smells delicious. And it's just, it really elevates a sexual experience. I think that there are a lot of misconceptions about lube, and I honestly find that it enhances most sexual experiences. Um, My favorite flavor of mochi melt is honeydew. And honestly, like you could, you could eat it. It is so good. So go to mochimelt.com and use code THEA, T-H-E-A, for 15% off of your order. And I look forward to hearing your thoughts. If you know me and you watch the podcast, you know that I like watching porn for my self-pleasure rituals. One of my favorite websites to go to is exoafterglow.com. What I have found with mainstream porn is that a lot of it is created for the male gaze. It's a lot about the man's pleasure, and it just doesn't feel super authentic and connected. What I really love about Afterglow is that it is for everyone, and it is founded by a woman. I've actually had the pleasure of working with her here in Austin, and I love their mission. You can also find educational porn on their website called EduPorn, and there is just so much to learn and watch there. So go to exoafterglow.com and use code EXOTHEA. Today's episode of Sex Talk Radio is sponsored by the HUD app. 
HUD offers an alternative approach to commitment-free dating and is geared towards supporting women in exploring their sexuality and intimacy in a safe way through conversations around consent, healthy communication, and boundary setting. HUD was the first to roll out safety features like auto-blur photos and video chat capabilities. I've been using the app for a little while now, and personally, my favorite feature is the bedroom feature, where I can see a glimpse into somebody's bedroom desires. So for example, it will literally say Thea's bedroom, and then BDSM, bondage, dirty talk, impact play, etc., which makes it that much easier to assess your sexual compatibility with someone. HUD is really future forward in how they're evolving their app, and I'm excited to continue using it for casual dating. Go to hudapp.com slash sextalk, that's H-U-D-A-P-P dot com slash S-E-G-G-S talk for a week on me. A quick note, the HUD app is available for both iOS and Android and is available to users over 18. I personally have seen something that I feel excited about for men happen on kinky dating apps where I'm seeing a lot more men identify as heteroflexible and bisexual and I'm curious like I see myself long term with a woman but I want to explore um, and that's just really exciting to me that's not to say that it's the majority of people uh, I'm on my little kinky dating app world but I, I'm hoping that um, men feel more comfortable sharing um, those kinds of things and their past explorations. And I hope that women and uh, hetero relationships can meet them with curiosity and acceptance because we have a responsibility to meet them there as well and not shame. I think that um, why would there be less, why would there be less or more by men than women? You know, like in, in your opinion, I, what do you think? Like, I think that there's probably just as many bi men and women. Um, and I mean, I know it's a spectrum, but speaking more specifically to bi men and women, and I think that uh, women um, are sexualized in their bisexuality. It's hot. It's a threesome. It's the let's yeah. bring another girl and it's so fucking hot if you fucked her. Whereas men in hetero relationships, they're probably curious or eager to explore just as many, or just there are just as many as women, but it is you're gay, you're a fag, it's mm -hmm. shameful, it's something that they were bullied for if they seemed a little feminine or you're gonna gay. You're going to get AIDS. You're going to get AIDS. Yeah. Fear. Fear, shame, secrecy, behind closed doors. Um, yeah. And, and, and so we have to create a safe space for men mm -hmm. on that spectrum or that are by to talk about it. Um, so yeah, back to what you're saying in these groups that these support groups that you're part of that are all women, mm -hmm. um, they are, they are not knowingly sleeping with bisexual men. Yeah. What they call them in, in that community is down low men. Mm, sure. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, just really sad. Like, yeah, we, we should have a, 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 live in a society where we support are men like men go through so much shit so do women but mm -hmm. when it comes to um their, their who they are as a person like yeah. we we suppress that so much in yes, our men definitely um and then i'm sure that creates a lot of trauma for both parties when these women are diagnosed does that diagnosis for these women and in down low men partnerships create divorce and separation and rep like yeah of course hmm so what is the difference between HIV and AIDS? So HIV is um, a virus that weakens your immune system. AIDS is when the immune system has been so compromised and is so weakened that it turns into a full-blown condition known as AIDS. Okay. 
And what, um, how is that condition different? What does that look like? Does And does that look like a shortened lifespan? Um, so with a weakened immune system in AIDS, mm -hmm. um, the common cold could kill you, for example, because you Whoa. have no defenses. Um, your immune system is so Whoa. weak and so deteriorated that a, a very small infection or cut can can cause death. Is there treatment to prevent that? Uh, if you have AIDS, if you get to the point of AIDS, uh -huh. yes. Okay. Um, I think to a certain a certain point, and then I don't don't quote me. I'm not sure exactly, sure, but sure. I think actually I really don't know. Mm -hmm. um, I know it's that okay. there are certain points where it's it's progressed so far that there is no turning back. But I do know a lot of women who were diagnosed with AIDS, whose viral loads wow. were in the millions, and they were able to bring it back down to HIV and are now undetectable. Whoa! Oh, so it's a, it's not if HIV turns into AIDS, you can. It can go back. It's yeah, it's reversible. Fascinating. This is just stuff nobody knows. Yeah. <laughs> nobody knows any of this. Um, and so, how could it? How would somebody like know they have? What's the question I'm trying to ask? Um, could you skip over even the awareness of the HIV and just become diagnosed out of nowhere with AIDS? Absolutely. Basically, yeah. A the the symptoms could be more subtle through that process. HIV and AIDS can look different for different people. Sure. There is people who have no symptoms at all, and then they go to the doctor one day, and then they have AIDS or HIV. Wow. Um, actually, I'm sorry. Let me retract that statement. Yeah. Typically, when when you get to the point of AIDS, you're sick, but it doesn't. There's no. There's no telltale symptom that says this is AIDS. So right. a lot of the people who get diagnosed with AIDS, especially women. They think they have some other condition. Fatigue, some sickness. Some sickness, fatigue. Um, but it is a quick de deterioration. Mm -hmm. So they're getting all this test done and they can't figure out what's wrong with their bodies. Wow. And then like the last thing is like, okay, let's check for AIDS. Um, but for, for HIV, the symptoms can look different for everyone. I didn't have any symptoms. I had a fever once, but a Whoa. fever can happen for a lot yeah. of reasons. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know what? Now that I think about it, I did have like a vicious cycle of um, BV and yeast infection. <laughs> yeah, I get a lot. Um, which I, in my, like, I'm kind of woo-woo. I yeah. know that it's all energetics to me. Um, mm. it, it's a sign that something is wrong mm. in my outside world and in my inside mm. world. And yeah, I seem to get VV after I fuck a fuck boy. <laughs> there, yeah, your body knows. Your body's so intelligent. My body's like, honey, the pH of this five is off. Yeah. <laughs> fuck. <laughs> um, and then what about the your partner at the time? Um, he was also bisexual. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that. He was bisexual. Um, was he was having some symptoms? You said right. He was having symptoms. Yeah. So he transmitted it to me, mm -hmm. and he was having um, fevers oh, often. Okay. And so um, another yeah. So for women, it would be like a vicious cycle between BV and um, yeast infections. Like your body's trying to regulate mm. while the virus. So that's mm -hmm. that's a, a sign. Fevers are a sign. Um, lesions on your skin can be a sign of like more progressed. Um, mm -hmm. But some people are asymptomatic. They have no signs. I have sure. a, another friend of mine who's a gentleman, and he had it for years. I want to say like 14 years and had sex with multiple women and didn't give it to women. And this is this is a really deep, deep, deep world that people don't know about. So he was um, positive. He was HIV positive, mm. but he was naturally suppressing the virus in his system without medication. Mm. Yeah. So for years, he was having sex with women, didn't know he had it, got a, like wow. a routine check you know, with his fiance. He hadn't got one in years, and he didn't have it. Oh, he actually he was getting routinely tested, but not for HIV. Mm -hmm. And then he found out that he is this really rare case, but they they exist of um, being able to suppress the virus naturally. 
And uh, this asymptomatic thing goes also hand in hand with uh, herpes and mm-hmm. other, vi- all of them can be um, undetected with, or not undetected, all of them can be in your system without any symptoms. Right. So, I mean, I think my message is like just to get tested. Yeah, just fucking get tested. <laughs> just get tested. And I feel like I hear people encounter, and I've encountered things before where they're like, oh, well, we don't really t- test for HSV2, aka herpes. Like, we, d- like, we, that have to be blood work or you'd have to be, you know, have symptoms for us to test. Like, just fucking fight for it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. unfortunately, um, I'm an entrepreneur and I've had this idea, like, I really want to build, like, a fun, cool STI clinic. Maybe you and I could talk about that. Like, just that's, like, fucking chill. You pay for, like, it's not going to be, like, a free clinic, but it's just, like, a good vibe and Mm -hmm. you get a call back. Like, they do the whole thing where they're, like, we're going to call you if you have something. When it's, like, actually, like, what about fucking my partner without a condom? Like, can you give me a call when I get negative results? Like, just an STI clinic experience that feels more intuitive would be great. Um, so all of that to say you might encounter like having to push a little bit or fight for certain tests, like mm-hmm. just, just do it. And then there's all these other things that I'm learning about. Cause like, I'm kind of fascinated by STIs and I want to have a doctor on soon. Like, uh, I just think we should be talking about it more, but then there's like something called like trick, like trichomonia. I can't think of it, but there yeah. are all these other STIs that are like almost so common that you've like, you really have to order weird extra test results to mm-hmm. get them anyways. Go get fucking tested. Advocate for the weird, not the, I don't want to say weird in a shamey way. The ones that are not on your regular panel. Yep. Um, and if you're, and then if you're in Austin, go to Vivant Health. That's, that's my, that's my favorite one. It's actually <laughs> um, an HIV focused and funded clinic. And they're just really, um, anybody can come in and get uh, gonorrhea and chlamydia. Is it V-I-I-V? I don't think so. No? Okay. Vivant. Um, okay. I just know that they're primarily an HIV clinic and that that's, I think, where they get their funding. But it's mm-hmm. just like walk-in, fast, quick results. Like they just have it fucking figured out. Uh-huh. Um, and then you always have to do an HIV test, which is which is fine. Um, and honestly, like I've been, when I've been going in, I've been asking the different people about, about PrEP because I um, feel like, in my switchy dom era, some of the more kind of submissive guys I've been talking to often can be more bi and have played with men. And I've just been really confused as a woman about what I should do. Like if I should be on prep, what my risks are. Um, and then it's like this whole other can of worms of, of guys that are straight presenting. Um, so the guys that I'm talking to that are comfortable and out about their bisexuality and being on prep is just such a different thing than like, what is my risk level, you know, with a straight presenting guy? And I don't know if you know the answer to that question, but it's like, it's almost like if we're freaky and we're kinky and we're hooking up with a bunch of people, I feel like it wouldn't hurt to go on prep. But, um, do you know if there's any symptoms associated with that or what's your kind of take on going on prep? I want to say two things. Okay. We talked I about. I just said a lot of shit. <laughs> you did. I love it. You said a lot of good shit. You talked about um, the clinic here in Austin that you really like. I also want to point out the mm-hmm. clinic that I go to, um, AHF. So mm-hmm. they have a really fun. Um, cl- they have clinics all over the U.S. Oh. Um, but they also have. A, I know myself. I've been to the one in Dallas, and I know they have one in Miami where it's mm. a thrift store. A really, it's called Out of the Closet, and it has an I'm HIV clinic in the back. About this, it's super okay. cool. Well, it's put together by gay people. It yeah, sounds like que- yeah. the queer community. Well, they're fucking awesome. Of course, <laughs> it's like that. Yeah, I didn't know, but 
But you said they're all over the country? Um, I don't know or, if they okay. have AHF, the organization itself. AHF. Uh-huh. Okay. AIDS Healthcare Foundation okay. is all over the country. Okay. I don't know how many out of the closets they have. That's a really I cute see. name, too. That is cute. And it's a awesome... But that's like, specifically for people that are going to get tested and treated for HIV. No. Oh. So anyone can go get tested at okay. a HIV, uh, uh, AHF clinic. But I um, worry that people freak out about that. You know, like, to mm-hmm. some degree, they're like, well, I'm not at risk. Like... Well, wait, wait, I'm sorry, continue. Um, I worry that your average kinky promiscuous person is going to see an HIV-focused clinic as something for gay people to go to. Yes, I think they will too. But if you were to look at an out-of-the-closet on the outside, it just looks like a thrift store. And mm-hmm. then you walk to the back, and it's kind of a kind of like discreet okay, um, like little yeah. little little door and uh-huh. you knock on it or a little window wow. and you tell them like hey i'm here to get tested okay and then they give you testing i don't know if i know that they have options for free testing mm-hmm. but i also know that they should charge for it too mm-hmm. so on the outside out of the closet just looks like a thrift store mm-hmm. so and i know they have i think a that's lot of very places. cool i think they have one in austin too i, I might be mistaken but i okay. think they do yeah i'll look into that. so out that's of the closet cool. it's a good option yeah i i just wish that that, that experience was just like when I had my chlamydia situation, the person at urgent care that after three fucking rounds of antibiotics was like, girl, you just have this in your throat, like one shot, you're good, you're out of here. I was like, oh, because nobody knew what it was. Um, after that experience that the doctor is telling me like this Austin's bad, like Austin has an extremely high rate of untreated STIs um, because it's a bunch of, you know, horny college kids and mm-hmm. nobody's getting tested and nobody's getting treated. Um, so I just wish there was like a more, I wish there was like a fun, like chain of like, just come get tested. It's 200 bucks. It's everything. We'll call you. You should do it, dude. Fuck. <laughs> it's, it's I did have chat GPT write up a business plan for it already. <laughs> I think that, um, profitability would probably be hard. Cause I think that sending off those labs, you'd probably have to get like in-house, um, I don't know. We should nerd out about it sometime. <laughs> we should. We should because it's so needed. I've been thinking about reaching out to colleges and high schools and being like, hey, let me come talk to your school. Your school. Mm. And like, because I, and, and I don't know. This might be kind of risky to say, but I don't think that when you look at me, people think she has HIV. Right. You know, well, that's um, why you caught my attention. I was just like, you, you caught my attention because you brought up my bias of like, oh, I realize that I've put a box on who has HIV and it is gay men. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why I was really intrigued to understand your story. Yeah. And I think that someone who is so confident in their story and confident in, in my sexuality, mm-hmm. I can go and talk to people, especially our youth, and say, mm-hmm. like, hey, it's normal if you're do- going through whatever the fuck. But, yeah. you know, just stay aware and just take care of your body. And getting tested can be sexy. Getting tested with your partner can be a, like, mm. a fun experience. Like, let's go get tested and then get ice cream. You know, <laughs> it should be that way. It shouldn't be so taboo. Totally. It should be normalized. Yes, big time. And I think that there's a privilege that we have as, oh, we wouldn't expect that person to do that. Like, people don't expect me to be kinky and freaky and all these things. And and so I feel like I have a responsibility to to share a message and to destigmatize. And, and same for you. I think you could totally, and also the entrepreneur in me is like, I know what speaker pitch rates look like as well. Like, you, you know, people... Maybe not high schools, but there are certain places where you could be getting paid thousands of dollars to go give a speech. Um, so if you ever want to chat about that, I'd be happy yeah. to help. <laughs> I just bought a course on mm. to be a public speaker. Mm. And I think that there's a way to, and this is the business coach in me, to to 
you can't just do the thing that's like, for me, my moneymaker is business. I love talking about sex and now I'm able to weave the two together. So HIV is just one part of your life. You are passionate about breath work and the Mm -hmm. woo. And so how could you create a speech that brings that both together? So it doesn't feel like work. You know what I mean? Um, And I would love to talk more at the end about, about the other things that light you up too. Um, But, but I love that. I think that, uh, we only take our fucking health health teacher so seriously in, you know, to a certain degree in high school. So, but to have a, com- a speaker come in, you're kind of like in class, the good girl, <laughs> like, okay, well, listen. Um, so I, w- I would love to see you do that. That'd be really neat. I think you're going to say something else. I uh, remember. I don't remember, but I know we were talking about prep. Yes. Um, so prep. Um, so for people who don't know what PrEP is, PrEP is a medication that you can take to prevent getting HIV if you are okay. in a community where it's more prevalent. Mm-hmm. Um, they also have a medication. I can't think of the name right now. I'm drawing a blank, but they also have a medication where if you think you were exposed to it, you can oh. go to a clinic and to take one pill. Whoa. Yeah. It's like a plan B. It's like HIV. a plan B. Yeah. That's a rhyme. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. So that could look like, oof, I hate to say that it would look like somebody like not disclosing, but I'm trying to think of another scenario because it would have to be within a certain amount of time of exposure. Maybe? Yes. Yeah, yeah, I want to say, I believe, please do not quote me, please yeah. research it, um, 24 to 48 hours. Okay, so that, I'm just trying to think of what what would a situation, like, how would that happen without somebody being like, oh, I literally got my results back yesterday, you've got to go take the pill. Um, it could be that. I mean, again, I've heard a lot and I've seen a lot in this community, um, sure. the HIV positive community, and there have been situations where someone just has like this feverish desire to have sex and they have sex and, and they know they're positive and infectious still. Mm. And they're like, fuck, I just did that. I'm really sorry. Wow. You need to go to a clinic or, wow. you know, the next day they, they come clean. Or I sure. al- I've also know of stories where like this woman was having sex with a man in a different country and his mom busted in the room and she said, what are you doing? You, you have AIDS. Like the Oof. woman is having sex with her. Yeah. Or having, yeah. Well, not great. And also better for the other person's fucking life to tell them. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think that goes across the board with any STI disclosure. Mm-hmm. Um, you should tell the person, or if you think you're at risk, you should be getting tested prior to having sex. But shit also happens. Yeah. And um, better for everyone involved, to be honest, truly. Yeah. I mean... I have had to send out a couple of texts before and saying, hey, I, I had this thing and, I'd, and, and I feel like all the times that I've, well, it was really just the one time this last like, summer ago that I had to do that, I was met with judgment. I was met with a ton mm-hmm. of questions, not even, not even people being rude, but like all of a sudden I'm their person to ask the 400 questions to. Oh, how do I get tested? Where do I go get tested? When will you get your result? And it's a lot. Um... So if you get a positive result, I also think there's something to be said for, yes, you should tell the person that day, but like give yourself a moment, take mm-hmm. care of yourself first, make sure you're getting your medication and getting yourself sorted out and just know that a lot of questions can come. Um, how have you dealt with that? Questions with new partners and, and all of a sudden becoming kind of the source of their education for HIV. Um, well, Mm, that's kind of a tough question for me because I didn't have a lot of partners after I got diagnosed. Okay. I slowed down dramatically. My lifestyle completely changed. Mm. Um, so with the partner that I was with, um, you know, after we broke up, I had a couple of partners, um, like casual. And I remember one of them, I told him and like, I broke down and cried and I was like, ah, 
I'm sorry, I have this thing. And he was really sweet about it. And then he got tested, but he, I told him he didn't need it to. But mm. it kind of made me feel more comfortable for him to get You tested. told him after you had been sleeping together? I did, yeah. And that was really unfair of me. But at the time... I appreciate you I sharing. Mean, thank you. <laughs> at the time, I was untransmittable. I knew I, did, I couldn't give it to him. But I felt so guilty that I told him. Sure. And he was, and we're still friends till this day. Yeah. He's great. Um, then another partner, I think I told them, and they decided, you know, not to continue. We w- weren't having sex. It was a possible prospect. Um, How did you take care of yourself with your, like, shame there that would come up? Rejection, basically. So, honestly, for me, my healing from my HIV came from sharing my story. Mm. I felt, uh, yeah, simply that. Like, my healing came from me sharing my story and helping other women. All, mm-hmm. all people, but specifically women, making it more mission focused than like than than that one interaction. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's how I um, navigate shitty shit that happens with having this podcast and being out in this way is is knowing that like what I want to create is bigger and more important. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's not always fucking easy. I mean, we have it's very different shit we're we're up against, but at the same time, it's um, difficulty with family, difficulty with people being bullies, being mean. Um, but knowing that what I want to create is bigger. Yeah, and by you having these hard-to-have conversations, and the fun ones, too, mm-hmm. you're changing people's lives, yeah. you know? You, you never know, like, what one thing you had said could have completely mm-hmm. shifted someone's perspective mm-hmm. and changed the projection of, of their life. So when you would encounter rejection from a partner, mm-hmm. you were able to come through it by remembering that you had bigger bigger fish to fry, kind 100%, of? 100%. 100%. My... HIV advocacy and and being public with my story was what made me have confidence. Mm-hmm. And I and I, I like to say that if you know you're newly diagnosed with HIV or any um, STI or STD, educating yourself is is the first thing you have to do for you to have confidence in disclosing your status. Sure. Because when I when I got diagnosed, I went like, on a deep dive of searching everything that had to do with HIV and women, and mm-hmm. that made me confident when I came up to a partner. Not that first time where I cried with a guy. <laughs> but after that, where I was like, hey, I have this condition. I can't give it to you. It's up to you if you want to have sex with me. But I just want to mm-hmm. give you the facts. You know? Yeah. And so how shortly into your diagnosis were you joining these? It sounds like maybe mostly Facebook groups. Or where were you finding these communities? Um, Facebook, Instagram. And da, da, da. there was a actually an online forum, like a website dedicated to HIV positive women. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what percentage-ish of women in the group, if you were to guess, have knowingly had bisexual partners that have transmitted it to them versus not? Very low. The majority of the women in the groups, in these HIV-positive Facebook groups, were given HIV by a bisexual man. Or, well, what's the right terminology? What they would... What, <laughs> straight what, presenting, straight presenting. Ha- has explored with a man. Yeah. That's the majority. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oof. That's the reality, unfortunately. That That is the reality. It sounds it, really traumatic because it's so many different layers of shit to unpack if they're with a long-term partner or husband. Mm-hmm. You, at least you knew your partner was bisexual mm-hmm. and exploring with men and that his risk was higher. Yeah. Um, how do those women, are, are any of those women out and sharing about it? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Oh, yeah. There's a lot of women. There's a woman who okay. I really look up to. Her name is Jennifer Vaughn. She okay. talks about it very publicly, and she is a beast at this. I mean, mm. she has, like, all the, all the stats and statistics, and she oh, talks about it. I would about, to talk to her. Oh, she's cool. I'll give you her info. Yeah. Um, and she was uh, given it by a husband, a partner. She was given to it by a partner, 
And she... Straight presenting. Straight presenting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then she, years later, she, while dating a guy and having sex with him, uh, de- developed AIDS and couldn't figure <gasps> out what was wrong with her. Whoa. And then she found out what it was. And then she actually, um, I don't want to speak too much on her story, but mm-hmm. she actually um, reached out to the guy who gave it to her. He didn't know, I think. Whoa. And then they became, so they'd both been potentially transmitting it for a very long yeah. time as well. Well, less for the women because they don't transmit as much. Yeah. Wow. Her story is really interesting. Okay. Yeah. She's the girl to talk to if you want, like, the facts. Like, yeah. <laughs> I love numbers. to get nerdy. I love yeah. to get nerdy. But I love this conversation, too. <laughs> um, and did did that cause, and again, you don't have to share her story if you don't feel comfortable. Do you remember that that caused, a, like, an end to that relation? Oh, well, she didn't know. She didn't know. Yeah, it was years later. She, wow, wow. Wow, because there's no symptoms, mm-hmm. and this is just why. It's well, she I, she didn't have symptoms from for years, but then she, that when she developed AIDS, when it, it progressed, then she developed the really wow. harsh symptoms. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think a lot. I've encountered women and friends over the years that have this kind of fear of getting AIDS. They have this fear of HIV and AIDS, almost a paranoia. Um, but I think that those fears are also also valid and. I just think it's important to do the research. I mean, even when I first came across your account, I was like, my first thing was like, I have so many questions because I don't understand or feel educated on this. Um, So it seems like you were leaning into, at least when I first found your account, maybe six months ago, you were leaning into educating and content around this. And now you've, 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 it's not a part of your, I guess, day-to-day life or content. Um, Can you tell me a bit more about that and, and what you're working on now? Yeah, um, as I mentioned before, I have ADHD, so I jump around a lot. So I'm mm-hmm. sure I'll I'll lean back into the yeah, HIV. That's okay, me too. Stuff too. Two ADHD people have fucking lit conversations. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. I felt that um, I don't know. I, I mean, currently, um, I've been in a in a long term relationship with the same man. Oh yeah. Who's negative? He doesn't. Yeah. As well. He doesn't have HIV, and he was actually one of the people who. Um, push me even further to like go out and talk about my story. Mm. So kudos to Tyson. Yay. But um, I, it just wasn't a part of my life anymore. Like I live a normal life. Like I'm kind of yeah. like a housewife. I don't have a job. I just like sit <laughs> at home yes, girl. and take care of our kiddos. And mm-hmm. does he have kids? He does. Yeah. He has three and I have one. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah you mommy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I wasn't talking about HIV with anyone. It was kind of just like dying down. I was like, yeah. I just, it's not really part of my everyday life anymore. I wasn't in the dating scene and I'm not really right. part of any advocacy groups anymore. Um, but I will say that when I was diagnosed with HIV, mm-hmm. shortly after HIV, I developed anxiety, depression, and hypochondriac syndrome. It, wow. it all came really suddenly. Okay. Um, I would love to chat more about that. Um, how did you, did you explore medication for those things? And, and yeah, what did that look like? So I tried everything under the sun. I should say under like the Western sun. I tried what mm-hmm. Western medicine mm-hmm. had to offer. So I tried medication. I tried therapy. I tried all sorts of different pills and things that my doctor gave me that just weren't working for me. Mm-hmm. And this is going to segue into your question where um, those things weren't working for me. And so I needed to find something else. And a friend of mine, um, she recommended I look into Joe Dispenza meditation. Oh, yeah, girl. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, ah, this is not really for me, but something mm-hmm. just really called me to mm-hmm. it. And so then I found um, meditation, and that was really, really powerful, and that really shifted things for me. 
And then from that community, it it honestly just spiraled. I grew into this community really fast and I found uh, breath work. And then I started doing breath work and suddenly my issues just were But this hearing. was pretty, this was years into your diagnosis? Yeah. 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 So I was dealing so with you anxiety. you were dealing with a lot of mental health. Oh yeah, a lot. I was dealing with anxiety, hypochondriac syndrome. I couldn't get into the car to take my son to school because I thought I was going to have a heart attack or a brain aneurysm. And if I went out to eat, it had to be somewhere close to like a family member or a friend. So if oh, I needed to go, wow. I could be there. And this went on for years. Wow. Um, and how do you think that was tied to the HIV diagnosis? How did that trigger this? Was it kind of like the HIV was, it was so out of the blue and unknown. Was it related to you feeling like anything could happen at any moment kind of, or how do you think that those were tied? If that makes sense. I don't, I don't know exactly how that manifested. Honestly, yeah. I feel like, like any trauma, um, trauma lives in the body and it stays in the body. And I think that was such a large trauma that it just blew my nervous system and it was really hard for me to get back into like homeostasis because of that shock to my system. Put you in fight or flight. And then also, um, I don't know. Um, this is a theory. I don't know. I'm kind of just thinking out loud here. Yeah. Maybe my medication, like my body wasn't used to my medication yet. So maybe I had like an adjustment period. I also tried mm-hmm. a bunch of different medications because I wanted to be on a medication that um, had like the least effect on my liver. For mental health or for HIV? For HIV. Oh, okay. So there are different treatments there are different treatments and some affect people differently some people have symptoms with some and some people have no symptoms with others okay um which is actually was going to bring me back to prep so yeah make me come back (laughs) girl i'm a lost cause (laughs) (laughs) um shit i forgot what we're talking about (laughs) same no um prep medication uh, i mean so this is an important decision to make which medication you go on i just kind of thought there was one again i don't know anything Mm -hmm. Because you're going to be on it the rest of your life, right? You're going right. to take a pill every day for the rest of your life. Yes. If you stop taking, it could turn into AIDS yep. and you would become detectable again and transmittable. Yep. Okay. So it's an important decision. Yes. And um, is it harsh on your digestion? Is it harsh on your body at first? So as medical science is um, improving, they're mm-hmm. starting to make pills that um, are affecting your body less, but n- n- they all affect your liver. Okay. So your liver is going to be targeted. Oof. Sure. Similar with, uh, I think, I don't know if SSRIs, just SSRIs, but yeah, lots of medication can be harsh on the liver and organs. Um, So what's the one you're on called, if you don't mind sharing? Yeah, I'm on Devado. Okay. Devado. I think I've heard of that one. Yeah. Um, Actually, it's interesting, kind of going back on prep, mm -hmm. the... One of the older versions of um, an HIV medication that came out that mm-hmm. was no longer like the top of the line mm-hmm. is now what PrEP is. Whoa. I'm pretty sure. They're, yeah, that, that would kind of make sense. Which makes me think, which makes me think. <laughs> Does that mean that, you know, mm. could I give someone like my, med- like my old medication that I don't need anymore? Could I give it to a... Hmm. Actually, this is a bad question to have. <laughs> Because I could be totally wrong, but it makes me wonder. Like, does my my medication that's stronger? Right. Could I like the old ones that I don't use anymore? Can I can I donate them and can Mm. someone use them as prep? I don't know. Would you? Again, neither of us are fucking doctors at all. Yes. Um. Would you suggest? I mean, I'm kind of I'm personally wrapping up a slutty phase. I'm calling in a, a boo. Uh. So I don't feel like I need to go on prep, but I do. I don't think it would hurt. I guess like I want to give 
that advice, I think, to women that are exploring sexually and exploring with men all over the sexuality spectrum. I don't think it would hurt to go on PrEP. However, one of my fears with PrEP was that it felt like a harsh medication, like there might be a lot of side effects. Mm -hmm. And like, is it worth it? What's the risk? The risk versus the reward, I think, is kind of tricky there. Um, Mm. And again, we're not doctors, but what would your... I mean, I I think I would suggest that... um, I would suggest Thea six months ago, honestly, fucking go on it. I'm just over my slutty face. Um, I think that's a really important question because women who are um, exploring right now, and men, don't know about PrEP, but that is absolutely an option. And I think that if you're doing it short term, I think it's okay. I I think Mm. it's actually a really good idea Mm -hmm. because if you are exploring with people who are having sex in um, higher Higher risk risk communities, then Mm -hmm. yeah, why not? Um, I think long-term, I don't think that's good for you. I think it's going to affect your liver. Right. That that, that was my intuition about it because I literally almost got a prescription one day at this clinic, and my intuition was that it was going to be harsh on my body. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, what's what's kind of worth it, you know? Mm. I would say, like you said, Thea, six months ago, (laughs) wrapping up up her her face. Yeah. Yeah, I would have taken it, but totally. If you're if you're planning on having a this lifestyle for like years and years mm-hmm. on end, maybe. And I I, I would recommend that a um, heteroflexible, bi curious man that's like maybe starting to explore and feeling more comfortable in his sexuality there. I would suggest he get on prep, and okay. I would suggest that he go to a um, a sex positive clinic. HIV clinic and ask all of the questions. You don't have to like ask your buddies about it or Google, like go talk to the people usually at these clinics are so nice. Mm -hmm. The people that you go into the room with, they do the intake, like so, so nice and friendly in general. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I really love the infectious disease um, clinics because Mm -hmm. they are trained to be like gentle and sweet and inviting, you know? Sure. Yeah. It's not their first, their first fucking time ever diagnosing somebody with HIV. I'm still mad at that doctor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not though. I mean, mm. I, I'm so blessed yeah. and have so much gratitude for everything I've gone through in my life because it made me the person I am today. So I'm very blessed and, and thankful for all of it, even the ugly parts. Do you wish you could change it? No. No, because HIV made me who I am today. Mm. Which is really powerful and strong. Thank you. Yeah, truly. <laughs> I mean, it's, that is a... There's of course there's gonna be the the swing like you you acknowledge like you acknowledged the depression and the anxiety and um, I think that's important to also not like romanticize like I don't want to romanticize to the people watching the the pain because it seems very very fucking real yeah. but now you're it seems like you're just very embodied in the ownership and the it's a part of my life um, what advice would you give to somebody? Uh, you know, navigating anxiety and depression, STI diagnosis related or not? Um, kind of like how I was getting at earlier, I feel like breath work and meditation and just mindfulness practices really saved my life. Mm. Um, and I think that's particularly important for people who are dealing with any kind of diagnosis of, of any kind, any big traumatic event. But I know for me personally, I can only speak to myself, dealing with HIV was... Um, really helpful when I had breath work in, in, the, my, in my back pocket. Totally. You know? Anything else? <laughs> okay. <laughs> it looks like you're going to say something. Um, how about navigating that with your family? Did that make it harder? I would feel like it made it, like, did it further perpetuate the shame and stigma around HIV? Were they, were they mean to you? 
No. Um, my family and I, I think, were just scared. I, I remember sitting down. My sister. More like you guys were alongside each other. Yeah. Yeah. I remember sitting my sisters down and my mom at my house and telling them, like, hey, I have HIV. I don't want you to worry. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to live a long life. And immediately my mom started crying. My sister started crying. My other sister got angry. And she was like, who did this? Like, Oof. you know, there was a lot of emotions. Well, they probably also didn't know, like, about your kinky sex life. No, they, mm, they did. Okay. <laughs> your sister's not your mom. Oh, my mom too. Yeah, she picked up my phone one day and saw some oh, shit. Fuck, okay. The, against her will, <laughs> she knew about your kinky life. Same. Sorry, mom. Yeah. Sorry. Okay, so you felt like they were really alongside you on the journey in a loving way, Mm -hmm. not like a, what the fuck, we had no idea, how could, like, yeah. Um, Which was surprising, mm -hmm. which was really surprising. I was just going to say culturally. Culturally, yeah. And based on their, or I don't know, was your mom still tied to, like, religion heavily after the divorce and stuff, or she's not super religious right now? No. Um, Culturally, though, I feel like just with tight-knit communities and stuff, was did she tell other people? Was she scared to navigate that? I think she was embarrassed because I almost immediately went out publicly and told my story on Facebook, oh my where gosh. I was friends with all my family from Costa Rica. Oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> and in retrospect, I kind of regret it a How little immediately? bit. How immediately? Like, maybe a month. You're like, hello. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's also part of the fucking healing process. Like, yeah. when I've been in trauma... I, my inclination is to want to share. There's usually a sitting with it phase. And then there's almost a cleansing and a re- and like a clearing mm-hmm. when you get it out. Mm-hmm. Because in general, the reaction isn't as crazy as you think it's going to be. And right. then you're kind of like, now we can move on. Mm-hmm. Um, was that your experience? I would say so, yeah. I think you nailed it, yeah. Mm. Um, shared with all the Facebook friends. We love a, we love a vulnerable Facebook share yeah. back in the day. Yeah. Uh, did you get any <laughs> negativity? I mean, I would love for you to speak a little bit to the negativity you have encountered because I know it's been there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what does that look like? I would say, fortunately for me, there wasn't very much. Okay. Um, and I don't know why that is. Um, mm. But I had that one encounter with the guy who was mean to me on Tinder. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had a couple of ex-partners reach out to me and they were like, hey, should I be worried? Should I be concerned? Sure. Um, I'm trying to think of like other instances where I've been, you know. I almost feel like you faced less stigma because you're not the prototype. And it's almost yeah. like people put you in this, and I don't mean this in a bad way, like in a victim category of, oh, this thing happened to her, but she's not the normal type to get it. Right. Whereas somebody that's like, a gay man sharing about it on Facebook, he might actually get more hate because it's like, of course you got that. Why weren't you more careful? Gay guys know blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like that's does that? I do feel like really? that's accurate, yeah. I think that people look at me and they don't think, oh, this is the kind of person that gets this disease. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that just leans more into the responsibility you have, you know, to, to share it because it's like um, I think people that aren't the normal type are going to inherently be listened to more. And it's sad, but I feel like, mm-hmm. like it's true. Um, like I have dabbled in sex work. I call it like sex work light, like sugar dating and stuff, and I just recently came out about that on the podcast, and it feels really stretchy for me because I really want to be taken seriously as an entrepreneur and all these things, 
but I feel like I have a privilege as, uh, you know, a white woman who didn't have to do it out of scarcity or desperation to just talk about it and to get uncomfy because um, I just think it's really important to use our voices. I think so too. And I mean, I've also been in sex work. I was a stripper and I, I did sugar babying too. And not out of scarcity. And I and to me, I feel like that's part of the human experience. These are things that give us life experience and definitely and, and wisdom. You know, like definitely. We, there's so much I, I, I really don't like this narrative of because we you we did sex work at some point in our life, this discredits us for the rest of our lives. So mm-hmm. it's it's work mm-hmm. nonetheless. Mm-hmm. And I mean my experience with it has been fucking great, actually. Yeah. Ninety five percent of the time has yeah. been fucking great. Um I've actually just started, like, I started a Patreon, which I'm, like, super uh, feel mixed about a little bit because I'm, like, I'm mixing, like, sexy photos with, like, kinky fun stories because I don't want it to just be, like, here's my ass, here's my ass, you know? Um, But I've been, like, sexting with people and getting paid. It's all very fun. It's fun fun for me. It gets weird when it comes out of my mouth and I know thousands of people are going to see it. It feels fun for me. So, anyways. um, Wait, wait, we got to bridge that gap. Like uh, businessmen, like powerful CEO women, like where they're having sex behind behind closed doors too. They're experiencing, exploring too. Why yeah. we have to bridge this gap? Of- Everyone's having sex, and many people are paying for it in some way. I have friends that have successful OnlyFans accounts, and they consider that sex work. So I think we need to broaden the lens of what sex work is. If you're exchanging sexual energy for monetary things Mm -hmm. sex work if you're exchanging a photo for a gift I mean it can be I think it should be this broader term and um I've said it before I think that like honestly a lot more relationships than we realize are transactional there's nothing Mm -hmm. fucking wrong with that you could look at a couple where some person's more attractive than the other and go like there's there's some transaction or there's some unspoken energy and exchange. Um, and I think that that's really okay. I think that's kind of how humans are. Um, but anyways, I just, I think more people should be talking about it. Uh, what kind of experiences and what the kinds of things were you exposed to with stripping and, and the sugar dating you did? If there's any, any tidbits you want to share or advice you want to share. <laughs> hmm. Um, so something that I learned from the strip club, I actually got the beautiful opportunity to strip with my best friend, Michelle. Fun. And she's a, an embodiment coach down in Austin. I mean, Miami. And she's oh. phenomenal. Yeah. And we got the opportunity to do it together, which was so empowering. What do you mean? Like work the same shifts or what do you yeah. mean? Okay. Yeah. Like we worked together. <laughs> yeah. Um, we, we worked at the same club in Dallas. And uh-huh. it was so much fun because she's such a embodied, like, goddess. And she was, her energy oh, yeah. was just so intense. And then yeah. she had all the information on, like, boundaries and, like, your energy. She and, like, started prior to you stripping? No, or no I, you, like, both I started in. first. Okay. And then she came in, and then she kind of, like, revolutionized the game for me because okay. she brought in her energetics into it, and then it really shifted things for me. She, and she created a conscious stripper course. Uh, embodied She stripper. is. Okay, good. Yes, Fuck she yeah. is. Oh, she's amazing. <laughs> DM Joanna uh, for the deeds. <laughs> <laughs> and I felt like what I learned from her and from that experience was how to stand behind my no, like how mm. to own my no. Mm-hmm. And that was really hard for me to do all the years before that I was sure. I was having sex. Sure. And I didn't start stripping until after I got diagnosed with HIV. So oh, that wow. was really interesting for me too. Sure. Um, and how empowering. Yeah. I mean, um, my friend and I, like sh- sometimes we'll do little uh, like little 
fucking field trips to the strip club. It's very fun. Maybe we should all go tonight. I don't know. What are you doing? Anyways, uh, <laughs> ADHD brain. But like she started doing these little field trips and we'd go and I fucking honestly, people like, I think mainstream has a narrative that like stripping is trashy or strippers are like, it's, it's, it's mean. It's the it's mean, mean narrative. What I saw in the strip club here, and I know they're all fucking very different, I'm sure, was embodied feminine energy and fucking taking money from men in a sexy way where in general, and I did see a couple of the strippers set extremely intense boundaries with men that were drunk mm-hmm. um, or like call in security. But in general, what I'm witnessing is men who are probably really horny and have boners <laughs> watching this thing happen and like respectfully in general giving money and like women owning it and like what I saw was just really dope (laughs) and hot and erotic and like when you think about sex work as like the oldest job in the world Mm -hmm. which it is and then you see it really happening in front of you we maybe don't call stripping sex work again I think it should I think the category should become broader of what that is um but that's what you're seeing. You're seeing an exchange. And um, I love, I'm just an observer. I'm a watcher. I'm a voyeur. <laughs> like, I just enjoyed watching it happen at the club. It's cool. It's really beautiful to watch. It's, it's an art, I think. It is. It seduction. Is. Yeah. It's totally the art of seduction. Mm-hmm. Um, did you make good money there? I did. I did make really good money. And I also, I see more and more people joining the spirituality community and this might be something that some may disagree on me with, but I think that there can be a blend between mm-hmm. your sexuality and spirituality. For example, like I have totally. a friend of mine who's like, oh, like you were a stripper. Like that's so unfortunate. It must've been so hard for you. And I was like, actually, oh boy. I had a really beautiful time. Mm-hmm. And I get it. He's like really immersed in the spirituality community. Mm-hmm. So that's what he thinks. But for me, um, I was able to, you know, use like manifesting as a tool. And I would manifest in my journal. I should, you know, <laughs> this is what I would write often every day. I want to attract customers that want to give me money for me being me, not for my body, not for trying to touch me, but just wanting to talk to me. And I would get a lot of guys who just wanted to talk to me. And I would just sit like in their laps and just like talk to them. Dude. And a lot of these men are lonely. Like people think that the same thing that you said, people think strippers are dirty and whatnot. People think the men that go into these establishments are the same way and they're not. Some are, don't get me wrong. But some of these men, you know, lost their wives. Some of these men have um, testicular cancer or pen- like penile cancer and they can't, you know, function no- normally with women in the real world. Yeah. Um, and they, those people deserve love too, you know. And intimacy and, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. And affection, I, I mean, care and touch. Like we're, we're human, we're animals, we're creatures, we're, we're social yes. creatures. We need to touch. And There's touch. a lot of loneliness in our culture and society and a lack of like physical intimacy and connection. Like I think I heard something about how people are swiping more than ever and less sex is being had than ever. So we're kind of like overwhelmed and inundated with these options and yet we're actually not experiencing the intimacy that we really crave. Oh, fascinating. Um, and that's like the main thing I've heard from like uh, escorts is like they'll and you kind of you kind of see it in the movies or hear about it in the movies too. But like that a lot of times it's like a fucking therapy session. Like oh, yeah. They want I mean, I was even sexting with this guy the other day and I'm like, whoa, like sex is so sexting. Like there's a level of vulnerability and intimacy that I experienced in that that felt like 
oh, whoa, I've never sent that to anybody or I've never sent an audio of me coming to someone or these things. Mm-hmm. But there's this safety because there is a pay, there it's there's a paid dynamic. Yeah. The boundaries are really clear. And I've heard that from other people. Like it feels very clear on what's happening. And so there's a safety and vulnerability that can kind of come with that. But yeah, escorts have like just shared with me um, that some of their sessions with clients are just like such a deep friendship and relationship and like therapy session for them. So just to wrap that up, I think that uh, I hope that sex work can be destigmatized dramatically um, in our lifetime. And uh, yeah, we can continue to normalize that. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you sharing your story and um, I would love for you to share a little piece of advice uh, for young, sexy, explorative people, as well as people that are navigating an STI diagnosis? So I would say, um, first and foremost, we have to normalize getting tested. Um, getting tested should be sexy. That's what I like yes. to say. Yes. It should be. It should be fun. It should be something that we should go do together on a date. Like, hey, let's go um, get tested and then like, yeah. like go on a date afterwards. <laughs> and we live in modern times where you can get tested in so many different ways. You can walk into a clinic, you can order a test yes, on, online. Yes, short shipped, yeah. My, for example, like my my testing, um, every time I get my results, I get them straight to my phone on an app on LabCorp, and I can have them immediately, wow. and I can send them to you. Okay. Like we have this technology, yeah, yeah, yeah. people, and it doesn't need to be this uncomfortable taboo subject. Like let's just make it normal so that we can mm-hmm. all have fun and be safe, and like change like, the narrative around getting yes. tested because I. As much as I love my life and I'm really happy with my HIV diagnosis, I don't want that for somebody else. Sure. You know, like it's preventable. Sure. Um, let's just talk about it and make it normal. And then for somebody who's currently going through a new diagnosis, HIV or not, I would say like breathe. <sighs> Take a breath and breathe and know that you are loved and that you are no less a person than you were before. Or this, desirable. Or desirable sexy. or sexy um, mm. than, than before having this diagnosis and... Do your research because with research, with knowledge comes power and confidence. And when you have knowledge and power and confidence, then you can share your results with somebody or you can share your status in a way that makes them feel comfortable and makes you feel empowered. Definitely. Um, And that your life isn't going to change. um, Day to day. Day to day. It's not. It's just one pill a day or one little little vitamin a Mm -hmm. day. Or one shot. What I got. One One shot. shot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, how can people find you? On the on the socials. <laughs> okay. So uh, I'm on Instagram at positively.jq. Um, my website is jqempowermentsolutions.com. Lovely. And la, 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 la. I don't have a LinkedIn. I should get one. <laughs> no, that's yeah. fine. You're good. We're not really a LinkedIn group here. <laughs> um, could somebody um, hire you to support them with uh, STIs? support yeah absolutely absolutely i am coaching yeah absolutely i'm open for that okay great well thank you so much for being here thank you you're amazing everyone Thank you so much for tuning into Sex Talk Radio. Please connect with us on social media. And if you haven't already, please come join me inside of the Sexy Society. It is an online virtual community for women to connect and explore with each other. We have weekly lives with past podcast guests and so much more. You can also learn more about my adventures and stories on my private Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash sexy musings. That is S-E-G-G-S-Y musings.